Bible tonight, turn if you would to Psalms chapter number 97. That'll be page 646. Uh, if you got a Schofield King James Bible, if you don't, well, like one preacher said, throw it in the aisle and we'll sweep it up later on. Amen. All right. Psalms chapter number 97. Before we stand and read one verse, let me just kind of give you how Psalms 97 is divided right after Brother Charlie Klein prays for us. Amen. Amen. Psalms 97 is divided into four parts. Coming of the Lord is described in verses 1 through 3. Matter of fact, all these four parts have three verses to them. And the reason I'm doing this, it's, it's a good lesson to help you learn to, how to read and study your Bible. Coming of the Lord is described in Psalms uh, chapter 97, verses 1 through 3. The effect upon the earth is de- declared in verses 4 through 6. The influence upon the heathen and people of God is found in verses 7 through 9. But it is verses number 10 through 12 that we want to read tonight. And it is the exhortation and encouragement that God gives us to holiness and an inexhaustible, incalculable happiness. Do you hear what I said? Verses 10 through 12 is God giving us a victory that is literally uh, exhortation and encouragement that, that you cannot exhaust as we walk through this path. So with the help of God, I want to preach on the victory over evil. And we've spent a great deal, many weeks of talking about sin and how that sin is not the same as evil. And we, we looked uh, the other, last Wednesday, on how that you stop the sin before it becomes evil. There is a space and time there that God gives us and uh, oh, how, how uh, uh, every one of us ought to be so mindful not to get called up with someone that is evil. Uh, and uh, of course, sin is personal. That's when you miss the mark. Uh, and, but evil is when you conspire with others to hurt someone. And then that becomes evil. And uh, well, God had so much to say about that. But it is verse number 10 
that I want us to look at tonight. You just stay seated, amen. And uh, and I want us to read the first sentence there together. Are you ready? Here we go. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Do you hear what I said? Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. My, oh my, what a statement. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. It is that first sentence, however, as we have been talking about this thing of sin and evil for such a while. It is tonight, there is the key to overcome and having victory, if you will, over evil. May I say, first of all, it is a love-hate relationship that we're called into. Somehow or another, we've lost that in, our, in this day. Uh, there was a day that when Christianity and serving God was black and white. Now it's seemingly very gray in a lot of areas, and, uh, but not with the Word of God. God hadn't changed about the matter. It's not changed there. Can I ask you a question? Do you love Jesus? Well, may I give you, and this is not the message. He said, ye that love the Lord. Now there's a reason we ought to love the Lord. Romans 5, they said, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 19 says this, we love him because, why? He first loved us. One of the things you're going to learn tonight very quickly, and uh, most of you may know this, but you probably never thought about it. Our love is very feeble and very weak. Our love. Even when we say, you know, we love someone, it's still very feeble and very weak. And the reason it is because most of our love is motivated from an individual strength. When we're close enough to, to see their, uh, their failures and their faults and what I call their warts, then we have a tendency not to love them as much the more we know about them. As a matter of fact, Esther 118 and, uh, talks about the familiarity uh, of causes contempt. As the ideal is the more we know about someone, there is this tendency not to love that person as much. Uh, and, and, uh, and it shouldn't be that way, but in fact it is. But here's what amazes me. The Lord knew all there was about us, and he loves us anyway. He knew us when we were sinners, and I could understand that. That's the reason he came. He came to a cross. He died and he came for me, amen. And I can understand him loving sinners. But what blows my mind is the fact that now that I know him, I'm saved by his marvelous grace. 
and yet I fail and I, uh, and I stumble so many times through this life and yet he knows all there is about me and still loves me. My, isn't that something? Oh, I love that. Now, that's the reason. But then there's a requirement for this love. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. In Matthew 22, 36, there was a lawyer that day said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law. And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. To love God's not having a good feeling about him or, or the fuzzies. I'm glad, I praise God, I'm glad I got something I can feel. But I'm going to tell you this much, I got something more than a feeling. I, I, this is, it's, it tickles me. People believe, and people believe this. People believe we, because I'm, I'm a pastor and a preacher, I wake up every morning shouting. Some mornings I wake up and I'm barely moving. I, I, I got a treadmill and it is kicking my butt. I'm telling you, I don't know that. I don't know if me and that thing's gonna get along too long enough. It is winding me out. Oh, I want to, but but to love God is it is it is it's not having a good feel. Praise God that I feel good, but there's so much more than that. Loving God has the idea of serving and obedience to that God that I love. It is very cheap to say I love Jesus, but we understand the demands. And uh, what he expects, it's a whole lot more. Now, I, I said, first of all, there's a reason. We love him because he first loved us. Number two, there's a requirement. But this is where that I would to God that I could get every one of us in this place here tonight and all the young people looking this way. If I could get you here I could absolutely change your life. If God could get you here, He could absolutely change your life. There's a reason we love Him. There's a requirement. But when He becomes a reflex, what do you mean by reflex? I mean, it is loving God and hating evil ought to become a reflex in our lives. Uh, not too long ago, I went for a physical. And, uh, you know, I, I hate it when anybody hits me with a hammer. I don't care who it is. And, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about that physical. There's a couple of things that just, it's just a real, I, I thought, you know, this has got to be on the line of some of the stupidest stuff we ever do. One, they stick you in a dress with no back. They set you on a stainless steel table that's been in the freezer. And then he comes in there and he's got that stethoscope and it's been in the same freezer with the table. And he sticks it to you and he giggles while he's doing it. And you know he's, he said, man, this is going to be cold. Huh? And, and, and we pay him. But it gets worse. He comes in there and he says, now I'm going I'm to check your reflexes. So he takes a hammer and he hits you in the leg. 
and I'm paying him to hit me. And so, you know, when last time I said, you know, I don't care. I'm not going to move my leg this time. I'm just going to get stubborn and rebellious. I'm not. I'm just going. I'm going to do my dead level best and to not move my leg. And guess what? When he hit it with a hammer, guess what it done? It did. It just flung right out. You know why? Because that's reflex. You know what we ought to do? We ought to come to a place in our Christianity that serving God is not a decision, but it's a reflex. It shouldn't come as a decision for you to be in the house of God tonight. It ought to be a reflex. It shouldn't be a a, a decision for you to reach in your pocket. Stopped at a restaurant today and and uh and I and I invited this dear lady and um and uh her name was Ron, uh, Rhoda Rhoda and uh and, and and I give her a track and and then invite her to a Christmas program and and uh, this Christmas program is so great. And, uh, and, and she wrote it down. And she said, you know, I'm going to try to come. It, that, that's, I, I didn't make a decision. Become very re- it's a reflex to do it. Whenever our, our service to God becomes something that is a reflex and not a decision. I tell you, I tell, I've said this for 20 years. If you decide ever service time, if you're going to church, you will miss 50% of the time. And it needs to become a reflex in our life. Now, I understand young Christians, new Christians, but we got folks being saved for years and years and years. And I understand young Christians getting saved, having to grow. I do, I really do. And I understand a certain amount of that. But we got many folks that are, that's been here for years. And yet tonight, they're deciding every service, every week, we're going to do this. We're, no! What's wrong with that picture? What's wrong with it is they never really loved God. Now, we may as well just cut through the stuff. They, they, they may say it with their lips, but they don't really love God like they say they do. And so it becomes something that's a reflex. I love this, Job 1.8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there's none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and holdeth, and escheweth, escheweth evil. The word escheweth has the idea that he, without thinking, regarding, he gave it, he gave it no second thought. He immediately moved against, was against, hated evil. It was just that simple. And he did become a reflex. And we know the rest of the story. So, how do we make loving God a reflex? Now, here's the message. Here's the message. Number one, if you're going, if it becomes more than just a decision, but it becomes a reflex, here's how you do it. Number one, y'all love 
the humility of a David. Stay with me now. You got to love the humility of a David, but you got to hate the honiness and the self-centeredness and the selfishness of a Saul. You hear what I'm saying? You got to love the humility of a David, but you got to hate the honiness, selfishness, self-centeredness of a Saul. It is absolutely amazing. God, now David was not by far a perfect man. I mean, dear Lord. As a matter of fact, if, if I were to stand a David up here and a Saul over here and, and we were doing the judging, but as a matter of fact, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, quick, we judge Saul over David. To my knowledge, you know, uh, if he did, he didn't, it wasn't recorded. No doubt Saul wasn't perfect either, but we know David committed adultery, premeditated murder. We know he did that. And yet the Bible says, when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. That's written in the book of Acts. Not written before his sin, it's after his sin. You'll find in Luke 1 32, he shall be great, shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He's going to sit on David's throne. You'll find, you'll find this love hate relationship, though illustrated greater than anywhere else because there was in this story of David and Saul a genuine bona fide Christian that loved God. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 20 and Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. Why? Jonathan, when David comes on the scene, one day Jonathan, he looked at David and knew something Saul had never saw. He said he's God's man. And he literally changed garments with him and gave an allegiance to him. And the Bible says he loved him. He loved him. And notice... But Saul was angry now. The Bible says, he said unto him, Thou art son of the perverse, rebellious woman. Do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and to the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established or thy kingdom. Wherefore thou sin and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan goes on and says, What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at his own son. Later on, the story goes, and, I, and I'm not going to take time with the story. Hope you'll go home and read it. It's in 1 Samuel. You can read the whole story. 
Start chapter verse chapter 18, 19 there. And you'll find that one day, so so David is he's in the woods of hiding. And uh, they've made up that if Saul's not going to kill him, he'll shoot an arrow a certain place. But if he is, he's got to flee. And Jonathan become, you know what he done? He loved the Lord, but he hated the evil. Because Saul, right here, is conspiring to kill David. Saul has now moved into the realm of evil. Why did God elevate David and his throne so much? Let me tell you why he did. Because David had a humble heart. 2 Samuel 12, 7. Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Oh, if I had time... I tell you the whole story. But let me give you the short version. David took another man's wife, killed, took another man's wife, and Nathan said, Hey, David, uh, one man had a whole bunch of sheep, and one man had a little lamb. He loved that lamb, loved it with all of his heart. The man had all these lambs, went and took that one. What do you think ought to happen? He said, Oh, kill him! And restore him fourfold. And Nathan point his bony thing. I like Nathan. Amen. He's a preacher. Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. I anoint thee king over Israel and delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. You will find immediately David said, oh, oh God, I've sinned. Heart was humbled. Now God didn't kill him. But you need to understand something. There's some things you're going to do in life that that sword's not going to leave. Are you listening? And that sword never did leave his house. And he did, he did repay it fourfold. And again, that's a message by itself. But I love this. David's son Absalom is taking the kingdom from him. And you'll find as David's fleeing, there's this man by the name of Shimei. And he's cursing him. And he's throwing dirt on him. And uh, I, now I love this. Second Samuel 16, 9. You're talking about good deacon material. Here he is. Then said, Abishai, the son of Zeruah, to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. I know it ain't right, but I like him. I really like him. And God and David said, oh, no, no. Here's what he says. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will equip me good for his cursing this day. That's what David said. They said, no, leave him alone. He said, no, you, you, no, no, no. No, you're not going to do that. He said, leave him alone. He said, said, you just, no, God just might. Have mercy on me. David was pliable. He was moldable. Again, oh, there's so much I want to give. I probably need to do 10 sermons on this. In Jeremiah 18, the clay is pliable 
and it's marred on the polished wheel. And the Bible says so he made it again. In Jeremiah 19, the clay's hard and the only, only things left to do to it is to break it. Can I say this? Reason God. We need to love the humility of a David. David wasn't perfect. My God, he failed so many ways. But I'm going to tell you something. You'll read, you'll read, read Psalms 51. And oh, how he prayed, God, against thee and thee only have a sin. Wash me thoroughly with his. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. And oh, I'm, he's, he's pleading with God. And that's the reason why we've got to love the humility of a David. But notice, we've got to hate the holiness and the selfishness and the self-centeredness but Saul, Saul was filled with jealousy and envy and self-centeredness. He didn't care who he hurt. First Samuel 15, you'll find that, First Samuel 18 rather, the women have come and David has slew Goliath and, and, and the women are coming and they're singing a song. They're saying, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And the Bible says that Saul was very wroth, angry, displeased him. Said so David ascribed unto David ten thousand to me. They ascribe a thousands, and what can he have more than the kingdom? And the Bible says, and Saul so I David from that day forward. And every chance he got, he threw a javelin at him. Can I say this? If you're going to love the Lord and hate evil, and it becomes a reflex, you've got to love the humility of a David, but you've got to hate the holiness, the and the selfishness of a Saul. Let's just have a little test. I'm not booing out this because it is a means of information getting out. But if you got angry lately because somebody got something, a new car, a new house, new clothes, new this, new that. Have you gotten jealous because somebody's doing a little better than you are? Or did you have just a shout and fear and praise God that God's being good to them? I was thinking about this today. Most of you know David and Tammy has got a, 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 a new double wide and trying to get in it. And they're killing me. Amen. But uh, we're trying to get in it. Has that made you angry? It shouldn't. They live for 10, they've lived for 15 years in a cracker box. And them youngs ain't getting any smaller. I'm telling you they're not. You know what? Y'all rejoice. You get angry somebody drives up a new vehicle. You'll just have, I praise God. Boy, Fred got him a new truck. And I, I thank God for that. I'm excited for him, amen. Because I knew the one he had, he's going to be pushing for long. See, see you got, you, we, we, we got this old selfishness and jealousy. My goodness, folks. I, I don't know that it goes on in this church. I got a hunch it probably does. But it's, it's, it's robbing you. It ain't worth it. Number one, you've got to love the humility of a David, but you've got to hate the holiness 
of a song. Number two, you gotta love truth like Micaiah, but you gotta hate the lies of Ahab. In Second Chronicles eighteen four through seven, the king Jehoshaphat's joining up with Ahab, and they're going to go up against Ramoth Gilead to battle. Four hundred prophets have decided they can win this battle. Jehoshaphat is there not yet a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of? I love this. Ahab's talking now. He says, yeah, there's yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord. And I like this, but I hate him. I hate him. For he never prophesies good unto me, but always You know why? Because Ahab was evil. Same as Micaiah, the son of Imla, and Jehoshaphat said, let none king say so. In other words, he said, bring him here. Micaiah was under a great deal of pressure. I mean, 400 to 1, he was outnumbered. The, the man brought him to him, said, listen, said, you need to talk right and, and, and give the right answers. But Micaiah determined to be faithful and not popular. In doing so, he says, we've got to love the truth of a Micaiah and hate the lies of Ahab. And Micaiah said, as the Lord liveth, even what my God saith, that will I speak. Now Micaiah told Ahab two things is going to happen to him. And literally, they put him back in prison. Number one, that Israel would wander hopelessly like a sheep without a shepherd. In other words, he's describing them not having a king. And number two, he said a lying spirit would give Ahab false confidence to enter in this battle. And God, and both of those things come to pass. So you got to love truth. Well, this thing of, of truth, if you don't think it's, if this book's under battle, you, you, you're just not, you're not the right people. This, this book is under attack. Truth, truth is under attack like I've never seen it. But you got to love truth. You got to hate the lies of Ahab. Number three. Boy, this is going to really get some of you because I don't know why God keeps bringing this up. But I'm going to tell you, if you'll just do something with it. And I don't know who you are, but if you'll just do something with it. I think God put it off my heart. Amen. It's killing me. Number one, love forgiveness like Joseph and hate unforgiveness like Haman. If you ever grow in a Christianity where it becomes reflex, you got to love the Lord and hate evil. You've got to love forgiveness. You've got to love forgiveness like a Joseph. You don't understand what they've done to me. Okay. Joseph's brothers put him in a pit to die. They sold him. Literally, he, 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 he went to Potiphar's house. She accused him of raping her, wound up in prison. The, the butler and the baker, he told him a dream. The butler died. He, I mean, the baker died. 
But the mother said, I ain't going to forget you. He did. Two years. And then Joseph becomes second in command. Corn dried up, and here come Joseph's brothers. You understand that Joseph at that moment could have took a sword because when they walked up, they bowed. Remember that dream business? That dream that got him in so much trouble? Guess what they're doing? They're bowing. What you don't understand is Joseph had the authority. He could have took a sword and went quack, 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 quack and killed them all without nobody saying anything. Second in command. All he had to do was just tell the story. I love this. But Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. Notice the word. Not sin. Evil against me. But God meant it under good to bring the past as it is this day to save much people alive. You know what Joseph said? Boys, I forgave you a long time ago. I forgave you a long time ago. I don't know how to, I don't know how to be more. I don't know how to get it. I don't know how to be more. I, I don't know how to say it any better than this. When you hold unforgiveness, why don't you go home, look in the mirror and say, why do you hate yourself? Because you've got to understand something. The only one you're, you're, you're hurting is you. You don't understand what they've done to me. Does it make any difference? Because here's what I'm saying is this. Because they don't care or they wouldn't have done it to you. And you can't change that. Because if you would, you would have done changed it. But you know what you can do? You can decide how you're going to respond. And when you forgive, what you're doing is you're freeing yourself. Joseph freed himself out of prison. You know why? Because he chose not to harbor unforgiveness. Well, you say, well, what will that do to me? In Esther chapter 3, in verses 2 through 15, and we're not going to read it all, there was a man by the name of Haman, and more, uh, Esther had a man by the name of, of um, Mordecai, and Mordecai was a Jew, and Mordecai wouldn't bow to Haman. And Haman was so filled with unforgiveness that even when he got promoted, he said, it's worthless unless Mordecai bows. So, his buddies and friends said, Hey, Mordecai, man, you're the man. I mean, you're top dog around here. Won't you build a, a gallows 50 feet high and why don't you hang him on those gallows? He said, Hmm, sounds like a good plan. One day Esther said, King, by the way, and this is just 
Mm, what a great story. She walked in unannounced. And in that day, when the man walked in unannounced, he had a sepulcher. And if he didn't lean that sepulcher over for her to touch it, I want you to know there were some guards on both sides. They would have thrown a bag on her head and she would have been escorted out the back door, probably cut her head off, and that'd been the end of that. And so he let out that sepulcher. He said, Esther, what do you want? She said, I'd like to have a supper and I'd like for you to come. He said, I think that'd be wonderful. And she said, won't we invite Haman? He said, okay. So she did. And he said, okay, what is it you want? Curiosities. I mean, it's a building. He said, Esther, tell me. She said, I'd like to have dinner again tomorrow. And I want you to bring Haman. And he said, okay, we'll do that. I mean, he, he, he loves her. And, uh, and yet... He goes back and he's telling all of his friends. Oh, Haman said, man, I, I'm going to have supper with the king and, and, and Mrs. King. Nobody gets to do that but I am, but it don't mean nothing. It availeth me nothing so long as Mordecai the Jew sitteth at the king's gate. By the way, Haman had already moved the king to kill all the Jews on a certain day. Wicked evil. She goes to the supper and finally King said, Now listen, Esther, now what do you want? She said, King, I just want to have a meal because there's an enemy and they're going to, they're going to kill us. She said, I'm a Jew and they're going to kill all the Jews. Who is this? She said, That wicked Haman. The king gets mad, furious, can you imagine? And he stomps out on the terrace. And while he's gone, stupid Haman goes over there and he falls down at her feet and says, please Esther, please beg him. And, and he kind of falls down on top of her and the king walks in about the time. He said, so will you actually uh, uh, take, what, what, what are you doing? And uh, one of the guards said, king, Haman built a gallows to hang Mordecai king said take him and hang him on his own gallows and I want you to listen to me and you listen to me carefully when you harbor unforgiveness you are building your own gallows to hang your own self are you listening you are building your own gallows and I promise you, the day comes, you'll be hung on them same gallows. If you want a, a, a victory that's rightfully ours, that's just reflexes, then you've got to love forgiveness like a Joseph and hate unforgiveness like a Haman. Gotta hate it. But, 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 no buts. Will you quit? Will you quit? There's no buts to this thing. God is about as dogmatic about this business as He's ever been. And He says this. He says, if you can't forgive, neither will I forgive you. 
And I don't know about you. Brother George, I can't make it without that. I can't survive without that. I'm not that, I, I'm not that good. Matter of fact, I'm not good at all. Number four, I love this. You gotta love the victory of a Joshua, but you gotta hate the defeat of a Samson. I said you gotta love the victory of a Joshua. Every place Joshua stood, God gave him. While Samson died blind, nobody ever preaches Samson and preaches that he judged Israel for 20 years. Nobody ever preaches he took the jawbone of a donkey and killed so many. Rarely do they preach it. They usually preach this, that one day he was playing around with sin and he got a haircut. They would have God, it's a bad haircut. That day the Bible says that she, he told her his heart and she cut the locks of his hair and he lost his power. The Bible says he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself and wish not that the Lord had departed from him. Can I say this? You've got to love the victory of a Joshua, but you've got to hate the defeat of a Samson. Paul said this, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Paul's come to the end of his life, and I love this. He uses two images here, and they're both athletic. He, he said it's like a, a wrestler or a boxer, and he's fought a good fight. He said it's like a runner, and he's finished a lifelong run, and he's, he's running, and, and, and he runs to the finish line. And then he says the third image is that of a boss, a steward, that's been faithfully guarding his boss's deposits. He said, I've kept the faith. And Paul said, and, I, and he said, that's way I finished my life. Ye that love the Lord. Now I ask you a question to begin. And I'm going to ask it again. Do you love the Lord? And I ask it the first time. Amen! Now I ask it again. Do you, if ye love the Lord, hate evil? And here's what he said. He said, He preserveth the souls of his saints and he delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. What a promise God has given. Here tonight, to come a reflex. I'm not talking about something you think about. A reflex. There's some things you've got to love, and there's some things you've got to hate. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head.